All right, welcome to episode three of the Gravity Lift podcast. If you listened last week, I was in the hot seat with Antonella asking me some questions. So this week we've flipped the script and now it's time for me to talk to her and get to know a little bit about my woman crush Wednesday. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. In the hot seat. Well, hey. Hey. So um, I guess we'll just start it off. Paint a picture of who a young Antonella Zabayo was. Like, like how young? What age? I don't know. Where do you want to start? Who are you? Where do you come from? What's your background? Oh, that's a lot. Let's know. Yeah, you can be down. as basic and easy as possible. <laughs> um, that has evolved and changed a lot. Yeah, I just want to know who, who are you? Who you were when you were a kid? Where'd you come from? Um. All right. So I grew up. I was born in Seattle. And raised in the West Seattle area, which was pretty cool. I don't remember a ton of it, but um, I do recall taking long bus rides from West Seattle to my elementary school up on Beacon Hill back in the day. So Seattle born and raised. Yeah, it was like forced desegregation if that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> yeah so there was enough white kids at my school i guess i was counted as white I yeah so are you technically fun. white or what who knows i mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah in the grand scheme of things i'm pretty pretty pasty but um i have two italian parents who are both 100 percent, which therefore makes me 100 percent italian and you know, some people like really resonate with their Italian roots. Like, I swear, half of my cousins have the um, flag on their tattooed on them somewhere, and I've always felt like a pretty American girl, um, even though the family not so much. But yeah, so I grew up in West Seattle and went to school in Beacon Hill, and then like seventh grade, I think, early seventh grade, my parents relocated us to the Plateau, Issaquah. Uh, we used to drive past there a lot on our way up to skiing up the pass, and we would stop at the Triple X in downtown Ooh. Issaquah. Yeah, and and it was always like this great middle ground between where we lived and going up to the mountains. So eventually, they relocated us there. I think too, they thought you know it was more suburbs, safer, whatever. But yeah, Issaquah back in the day was pretty different than it is now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> way different. I'm surprised different. the Triple X is still around thriving <laughs> drive up i remember going they there bring the food to your car still i believe do they yeah i think oh. so i remember going there for like uh what was it i went to like an issaquah uh homecoming or something like that way back when when i was like 15 16 years old and i remember we had it at triple x nice well one of my things i was kind of bummed about when we moved there is when we used to pass through on the way up to snoqualmie uh there was a water slide park that we were always like really? oh i want to go to this water slide park so bad i'll have to look up and see what it was called but um it was winter obviously so it wasn't open but every time we'd go by we we're like oh yeah we got to do it we got to do it and then we moved to squat and it shut down because there was apparently a lot of <laughs> injuries where was wasn't that the safest i mean it was visible from the freeway wherever it was interesting yeah i guess probably where the movie i want to see where the movie theater is now interesting anyway. yeah because i'm yeah because i wasn't around back no, then that was before your How time you? <laughs> i was probably 12 Wow. 13. So I was like zero, zero. or one. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
uh, yes. But those were, I would say, like my formidable years. Like, I loved growing up in Seattle, but I don't really remember a lot of it. Um, yeah. When I moved to the Plateau, that was kind of my strongest memories is junior high and high school and the friends that I made there and kind of started to figure out who I was. Uh, my high school was backed up. Issaquah High School was backed up to uh, Tiger Mountain. So that was when I started to discover that I really liked being outdoors and hiking. And that was pretty much a regular occurrence was either ditching class <laughs> or right after school, hopping the fence and going for a hike with friends up on the mountain. And um, yeah, it was yeah, a pretty so cool used place to, be, to grow up. Did you continue doing a lot of skiing? You said you would go up to Snoqualmie yeah. Pass regularly. I don't know when we first started going. My my mom remarried and my stepdad was really into skiing and he started taking us up early as early as I can remember um, and we continued that all the way until I was an adult and not living at home anymore and then once I could drive I would actually go up without them I would that was my first like non-babysitting job was working at uh, ski acres and so I'd hop in a car on a Monday or Tuesday night after school, go up and work a few hours, and in exchange, you'd get your seasons passed, so then I could crush all weekend long. It was so fun. That sounds clutch. Yeah. But skiing was a big part of my life, for sure. I miss it. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could afford it. <laughs> I know. One of these days we will. Yeah. We'll get up there. I know. We've never skied together. Yeah. The, the equipment's just so different now. Yeah. Anyone who's gone skiing in the last five, ten years, I'm sure. I was so confused when I went a few years ago. I rented equipment and the new skis are short and stubby and wide. And when I used to ski, it was like the longer, the skinnier, the better. And now I, I definitely have to Gotta catch that powder. It. What powder? Where do you live? <laughs> we Dude, live in Washington. <laughs> you haven't been up lately. There's There's been some good years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, that's the thing is like, I think those are very much made for groomers. And that was the idea of skiing was like, you go hit the groomers and you have these long, skinny skis. Yeah, but like back in the day, this was before, when it was still like Snoqualmie, Stevens, and Alpental before it became the pass or whatever, the money wasn't being put into grooming. So it was literally like, <laughs> you were carving on ice and there was not money being put into having nice slopes so hopefully that's changed maybe those skis are there's definitely money put into it it's just not like you know new technology same as the skis and so you still had these like slopes and yeah it's icy around seattle and whatnot but i know the big thing i mean i've had friends lost and i know family members who have had friends lost in backcountry but like Mm -hmm. i think in the last bit backcountry has become more and more prevalent mm-hmm. and so when you're getting sold on a pair of skis it's like oh here's these big thick ones you can go through powder yeah, and those are some a lot of, the, of backcountry see, those are some of the most fun runs when you hit like a backcountry run that's like i was never crazy enough to like go do like super intense backcountry stuff but that's some of the backcountry stuff you can do if you're there early and you catch the first powder runs mm-hmm. it's it's pretty phenomenal to like feel like you're floating on top of powder yeah um, so that's where kind of the bigger, fatter skis come into play. You can do some fun stuff and still be able to carve there. Well, hopefully we can go check it out. Maybe we can try to make one, one day happen this year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm down. But, so pretty much like skiing, if I wasn't skiing, I was at school or if the weather was not cold out, maybe hiking. Uh, I was babysitting a lot. That was, 
a big part of who I was growing up. I started babysitting and then I became a nanny for multiple families. So I've always thought that I wanted to teach kids. And I went to school after I graduated to become an early childhood educator and thought I was going to be a kindergarten teacher. And that was my whole route. And then, I don't know, something hit around probably 19 or 20 where I had this realization. I think when, you st- when, you st- when you're in school and you have to start... Um, I don't know what they called it but when you part of your class requirement is to go and be at a school and be kind of an assist or something and I started to see all the bullshit behind the scenes that you have to deal with when you work at a school and it's like dealing with the parents and de- dealing with the curriculum and the other teachers and I don't know it just started to feel like it was less about actually being with the kids and there was a lot of stuff I kind of wasn't down for so then I realized I just wanted to have kids not necessarily other people's kids and so I was a pretty young mom that that took over pretty early so was that around the time you stopped skiing yeah it's exactly the time I I skied all the way up until I was pregnant with Bailey so I was 22 and then when I was pregnant my doctor I had um I don't remember exactly what they call it, a high leak or something where I was bed rested about halfway through. And my doctor was like, yeah, no, (laughs) you don't get to ski. You don't get to do any of that kind of stuff. So I had to lay pretty low um, about halfway through the pregnancy. And then I just didn't pick it back up again, who I was married to at the time. uh, He wasn't into skiing or being cold. And uh, so, you know, as relationships kind of happen, you sort of morph into the person you're with and he wasn't really down. So I didn't really go anywhere. Right. Yeah, I lived in Bellevue. I've lived a lot of places. So West Seattle and then Plateau and Issaquah. And then I lived in like Crossroads, not Crossroads, uh, Factoria area of Bellevue. And then I, when I got married, I lived down on the lake in Bellevue, like um, West Lake Sammamish. So when you lived on the lake, did your life kind of switch from snow sports to water sports? Yeah, I definitely started to play around with like wakeboarding and stuff, which was super fun. I loved it. Sometimes it was a little tricky because when it when you don't have enough people to wave the little flag and make sure that you're safe, there was a lot of times where I was like, "Won't somebody come out and play so that I can go board?" Just sit on the boat yeah. so you can watch me do things. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, I train. I know that's just how it feels a lot with like <laughs> yeah. wake surfing these days. It's like you go out for like five minutes and you're like, "All right, can you guys just come hang out and watch me and sit yeah, exactly. on the boat?" I loved wakeboarding. It was really fun. It was interesting, though, that I got, because I wasn't a snowboarder. I was a skier, but I never really, I think I tried water skiing once and it felt weird. But for some reason, I picked up wakeboarding pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's why when I stopped skiing, yeah, you're right. I ended up transitioning more into water sports, I suppose. Yeah. You were living on a lake in the summer. So pretty. It was such a great spot. Yeah. So then after that, where'd you go? Then I moved to Duval, my husband at the time, and I uh, moved out there with his parents. We were on like a compound type of property, like 20 acres, and his parents were there and his brother, and then he and I were there raising, at that time now, two kids. And that was part of why we moved there. The lake house just kind of didn't really make sense to remodel it at the time. It was better to just find a new spot. And this new spot out in Duval was like a mile down a dirt road, super chiller, more secluded, had two houses. So we were able to be right by the grandparents, but still have our own space. And it was so awesome for the kids to grow up that way and be able to walk next door to their grandparents and visit. Yeah. It was great. 
Sounds like a good setup. Kind of sounds similar to uh, what we got going on here. Yeah, I, I love it. And, you know, being obviously raised by Italians, I think it's a very European type of thing where everybody's either in the same house or right by each other. And I don't know, there's not this instant, like you're 18, get the fuck out. It's let's support each other and be a family unit and see how we can all work together. So I definitely value that a lot. Yeah. It's been important to me for a while. So I like this, our setup here. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, so then, uh, I guess you're on potentially number three for your uh, to be married to. So first relationship didn't quite work out. Um. Yeah, I got married young. Well, I met the kid's dad when I was 18, just out of high school. We got married at I was 21. He was 23. Had babies a year and a half or so later and started that route of like wife slash mom and it was great he's a really good guy but uh yeah it just wasn't meant to be long term and yeah I couldn't imagine having a kid at 21 and being like oh I am responsible for someone else's life yeah and he struggled a lot with Um, addiction so it was especially challenging being in a young marriage trying to deal with Um, how to be a parent to my kids and then also have a partner that I was sort of a parent to and not necessarily um, good on either of our parts, right? I became a bit codependent. He (laughs) definitely kind of spiraled in a lot of ways. We weren't necessarily a good fit for each other, but I have zero regrets because I got two amazing kids out of the situation. And um, we we stuck it out for quite a long time though and then uh, divorced in like... I don't even know when that was, 07 or something. Yeah. So about 10 years ago. Yeah. And then uh, I guess we, we won't take it too much in there, but uh, finishing off our podcast last week, we mm-hmm. talked about kind of men's mental health. Mm-hmm. Sorry, we got a dog in here. He's making lots of <laughs> lots of ruckus. Um, so yeah, we talked about men's mental health um, until around that time, 2007. I know you dealt with something as well. Yeah, so like a month after um, the kid's dad and I decided to divorce, my brother passed away. He um, committed suicide, actually, Um, and it was pretty intense. Like, I was already mourning the loss of a relationship that I thought was going to be forever, and and then you throw that into the mix, and um, my brother was definitely one of my best friends and it was hard because he had struggled quite a bit with his health mentally and physically for a couple of years and we had reached out and tried to help him but I think in a lot of ways like you can look back and think like oh if I had done this or if I had done that and ultimately uh, he did take his own life and I I definitely spiraled a bit <laughs> when that happened went a little dark and uh and and then ended up in a rebound marriage and I don't know how much of it was me rebounding off of my first marriage or rebounding off the loss of my brother or maybe a combination of both but I went a little dark for a few years yeah it was not not super pretty (laughs) well you pulled yourself out of that um yoga pulled me out of that yeah so that's a pretty common thread through both relations or through all of your relationships it sounds like at this point given uh kind of with Bailey so kind of how did you start in yoga and how has your yoga evolved 
to now. Yeah, I know it's a pretty big. so much. <laughs> uh, no, my yoga journey started a long time ago. I was 21, maybe 21. Yeah. And 22, maybe. And you were still skiing. I was still skiing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I knew I wanted to have a baby. Uh, we were young, but we were wanting to have kids and I had read somewhere that it would be good for labor to have a yoga practice. And this was like, this was back when it was not as easy to find. It was definitely a challenge. And so I found a couple studios and that's when hot yoga studios were just starting to creep up. There was a couple nearby and I went and checked out some classes. And um, my first like yoga home was um, an Iyengar studio in Bellevue. Yeah, you and, took me there. Oh yeah, you got to check it out. They've yeah. changed the name at this point, but uh, I loved the alignment-based yoga. I loved it. I went in and just felt like I don't know. It it just made sense to me. I had been so physically active for a long time, so it, it was nice to have very specific cueing and to be able to be told to do something and to actually be able to recreate it in my body and explore and um, and so I went to some classes and started to do DVDs. I found some yoga DVDs that I would do at home. And, um, yeah, so I got pretty into it and then I kept doing it. Even after I had Bailey, I, um, was a lot harder to go to a class at that point when you've got a newborn at home and not really a lot of support. So I would just practice at home and, and kind of started to dive into my own home practice really early on. And, um, yeah. And then eventually I ended up working at a gym and there were some yoga classes there and we were really blessed at the time to have some actually like really phenomenal teachers that were teaching in a gym setting, which I think now is a little bit harder to find. And, um, so I got hooked. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. But it was my support system for sure throughout having a baby or being pregnant and then having a baby and then going through divorce and death of my brother. And yeah, then, how did that shift? Did your practice take more of a a mental turn than really a physical turn? Had it always kind of been that way? Uh, with most people, the gateway is pretty physical. Like, you know, oh, it will help with pushing a baby out or, oh, it'll help me recover after I have a baby. And then it didn't really take an emotional turn until uh, my brother had passed and um i was working at the gym at that point as a personal trainer and i had taken a few weeks off after he passed because the thought of having a one-on-one -on -one session when these clients that saw me week in and week out it just felt really raw i wasn't ready and so before i even saw clients again i i went in and just took a class in in there and it was really hard because i as i was walking in um, so it was probably like two weeks after he had passed, um, as I was walking in, I ran into a, an old friend from high school and she was super sweet and, you know, we caught up for a second and she was a couple years younger than me. And so my brother was four years younger than me and she was two. And she was like, Oh, how's Jimmy? And I was like, uh, <laughs> it was like that dreaded moment of, Oh, she doesn't know. And now I have to tell her. And I just, it was brutal. So I remember 
uh, telling, delivering the bad news. And she was so sweet. And of course, like wanted to be at the memorial. And then I had to tell her the other bad news, which she had already missed it. And um, so it was rough. And then I go right from that interaction to my first yoga <laughs> class in public. So of course, I like did what I could, modified a lot and sobbed in child's pose, like probably five or six times throughout that class. It was one of the hardest yoga classes I've ever taken, but so uh, important emotionally because I think that was where I had this turn of events in my own yoga practice. Like, oh, there's something else I'm tapping into that's not just physical. So yeah. that was the when things started to shift. Nice. And then you ended up going through teacher training pretty much right after. Yeah. Okay. I went through teacher training just a couple of years later and, um, it was hard. <laughs> teacher training was definitely hard. Uh, I went through what I would call a more cerebral type of teacher training. There was a lot of, um, I don't know, expectation and a little bit, not quite elitist, but sort of a sort of a higher level type of thinking where a lot of yoga teacher trainings are like, find your inner power and learn how to connect to your strengths. It's a lot of like self-empowerment where that was sort of in there, but it was a lot more of like, yeah, a lot of technical. So I, I liked it and that was what I needed at the time. I think when when you're going through a lot of things that are really raw and emotional, it's nice to like ground yourself in the more scientific or the more, I don't know, easy to divine black and white of, of details and alignment and anatomy. Yeah. So where did that take you? You ended up uh, working at studios after that and you kind of left the gym world. Yeah. Oh, I def yeah, I was out. I had already, I'd already left the gym world at that point. I only did a couple years in the gym and the business mind to me, I've always been like, I don't know, an entrepreneurial mindset. Um, when I was in sixth grade, I remember my teacher, Miss Romero, first like week of school, put everybody's names on the board and then their profession next to them. And I remember being kind of annoyed because I was like, no, I want to be a teacher. And she like didn't put that down for me. She put like entrepreneur or something. And now I look back on it. I'm like, oh, yeah, she's probably right. Because <laughs> I've always been sort of like that. And so after, um, sorry, I get a little closer to the mic. Not after, that close. Not but that close. Yeah. <laughs> Don't put my face on it. After a couple of years at the gym, it was really apparent to me that uh, – I didn't want to make money for the people running the gym. I wanted to make money for myself. And I thought of my clients as my clients, not their clients. So I pieced out of there after a couple of years and started to see clients um, either through my home or I would go to their house and started my own business. And, and I loved it. And so then when yoga came into the mix, it was an interesting progression because I still had a lot of like personal training clients that needed weight loss or weights or whatever. But I, the more I worked with people one-on-one, -on -one, the more I noticed that they actually needed yoga. And even before I did my official 200-hour TT, I had already done sort of a quote-unquote yoga certification through my personal training certification. They offered that. Um, so I had a little taste test. And uh, I didn't really know it at the time. But later when I took my yoga TT, I was like, oh, that PT advanced stretching thing was pretty much yoga they just call it different <laughs> words but yeah so my with my clients it evolved into a lot of private yoga 
And, uh, but I went through my TT. I didn't have any desire or plan to teach classes in a studio setting. That was not at all what I thought I wanted. And then, yeah, I ran in, or I met this lady who was opening a studio in Woodenville and she said, come teach her. And I said, oh no, I'm just doing private clients. I don't really think I want a class and I'm not into group. I still thought of it as like group exercise. Like, oh, you have to like, be peppy and have 30 people in the room and I don't know why I thought of it like Zumba or something and and she was like no you can have whatever day you want whatever time whatever class format you want and I was like "Ooh, <laughs> that's kind of enticing so I started to work at it it's no longer in existence but it was balance yoga studio in Woodenville it was a special place and yeah I seem to recall you, you met someone there yeah who'd you meet there I've met many people there some of my favorite people I've met there yeah, so about about the favoritest person that you ever met at that studio. I don't play favorites. Oh, sure you don't. But yeah, so I taught a class, and I started with just one day a week, and I titled it Yoga for Athletes because at the time I felt like there was a lot of people who still thought yoga was just boring stretchiness, and especially a lot of men in my life um, just – didn't really find the appeal to yoga but for some reason titling it that I got a lot of people in who normally wouldn't go to a yoga class so that was pretty cool ended up being a pretty packed class every Sunday morning and then eventually they promoted me to a program director and I got to hire and fire and come up with all the content and workshops and that was really cool we built an awesome community there I absolutely loved it and yes that's where I met you Oh, you're like, just say it. <laughs> and then yeah. you were still um, working with the people that you did teacher training with. And you convinced me to yeah. then come to the same training. Yeah. So at the same time of running the show, the Burt Balance, I was also working alongside the teacher training program that I went through, um, basically co-teaching or, um, yeah, I don't even know what you call it, I guess, assisting a lot of the 200 hours that we would run. And at the time I had this kick-ass group. Oh man, that Friday group. There was like, what, 10 or so of you guys. And you guys were so consistent. And, and it was a, just a good crew that it was. I talked to a few of you guys I thought had awesome potential. And not necessarily to be teachers, but just to advance the practice beyond what you could get in that hour. And a lot, yeah, you signed up and... A whole handful of your crew and it was it was really fun you guys had a good good class graduating class that year what year was that <laughs> that was 2014 okay yeah yeah that was a good crew yeah i miss it i miss balance i miss uh running or assisting those tts i think that they were good but it was time to change and evolve and i like the program that we put together and the fact that we've now i'm able to co-lead a TT that I actually create the content for versus before I was teaching content that was someone else's and in a master plan that was someone else's. And Again, it felt, felt probably like the switch from doing, working at a gym, kind of making money for someone else and for sure. running their game plan versus then going and doing your own. For sure. Very similar. And actually at the gym, part of why I left a challenge that I felt was that it was very money focused. 
like people, the clients were very much like a dollar symbol to where I was at and like wanting to push things that I wasn't necessarily comfortable with. And that started to kind of happen as well with the TT I was working with. It started to feel much more transactional, uh, my contribution to it as well as the interactions. And, um, so yeah, that was actually, um, yeah, that was, it was time. It was hard to leave that situation or however it went down, but, (laughs) but it's been a blessing in some ways because now I'm able to take a step back and look at how I do want to train teachers and, and how I want to build my program. And, and you and I have had some great collaborative ideas on that. So I'm looking forward to our next, next run. Yeah. Yeah. We we don't really have much of an idea of when that's going to be exactly, do we? No, I've kind of, I feel good about switching gears right now. This year has been, we had a TT that ended in June with an awesome group through UW Bothell. 15 amazing, smart, talented souls that are like family now. And, and initially, I think we were going to bounce right into doing another one next year. But I'm glad we're not. I, I, I've really noticed, I don't know, in the last year or so, a lot of teachers in the area reaching out, whether it's in person or through social media that just want more than what they got out of their 200 hour. Not to say that their 200 hour was not a great program, but they, it just didn't quite direct towards their needs and, or maybe they weren't in the right place at the right time. But, uh, right now offering modules instead towards people who are already certified and giving them some continuing education to help them grow has been really nice. Um, the first one we did, I loved, and we've got another one coming up here in a couple of weeks. So right now my passion is definitely for training teachers is definitely directed more towards how can we help and support people who are already teachers who may be struggling with it rather than pumping more and more out, uh, into the yoga world. Yeah. It's a good one. I like it. Um, so I guess, how would you, if your journey has changed so much from 20 to 40 with yoga, mm-hmm. where do you see your journey going from here? At 60? Yeah. <laughs> right? Big changes. Well, at 20, when I started the path, I would never have guessed at 40 that I would be doing what I'm doing within this career field. No way. I could not have seen it. So what I'll be doing at 60, I, I don't even know if it's been written yet. <laughs> I don't know if it's even out there. If if you could write the story right now without the knowledge that you would have when you're 60, which right. is definitely beneficial, but think about it the same way of when you were 20 mm-hmm. and if you could have imagined your life in a yoga world, would this be somewhat similar to where you are now? Maybe, I guess. And if so, how can you take what you know now at 40 and kind of guess on what it would be like at 60 and what what would you like it to be if you could literally make the story right now where would you go what would you do well I would say there's very few master teachers out there there's a lot of people who are proclaiming themselves to be master teachers or studios saying oh this master teacher will be in town make sure to take their workshop my definition of what that is is a little different than the most But I would say that I would hope in 20 years that I could consider myself or have other people consider me being a master of my craft, whether that be through the amount of teachers that I have helped cultivate in the system of yoga or uh, through our reach. I would say that we've 
done a lot to take a step outside of like a normal and I say normal meaning not traditional but like a current yoga path and um and that I've we you and I have worked really hard to try to take it outside of the norm and meet people where they're at whether it's at a festival or some sort of event that they don't even know they're gonna have yoga and then we're like guess what you're gonna do yoga so uh I could see that being something that I don't know bring some recognition I don't know I don't necessarily need the recognition I guess I just want to feel it in myself that when I get to that age I can look back and feel like I've become a master of this path that I'm carving yeah I've done it well so what's the uh what's the worst advice you hear that's kind of tossed around in the yoga world these days oh geez I don't even know if I can narrow that down there's so much bad (laughs) advice I don't know we can flip the script. What's the what's the best advice you could give to someone uh, who's... Okay, let's do that. <laughs> it's easier. It's hard for me to think of the negative. Uh, the best advice I could give anybody who's looking into yoga or who's already... Probably this advice would go out to people who have deci- they've done yoga and they decided it wasn't for them. So my advice goes to you, uh, you people. Do it again. <laughs> Try it again. Go to a different teacher. Go to a different studio. I think that a lot of people enter into the practice through a door that's maybe not right for them either they go to a fucking hot studio it's like 110 degrees and they're like ugh, i can't do yoga it's too hot like i don't do hot yoga you don't have to do hot yoga or they go to a teacher that maybe was too fast or not uh, nurturing enough or maybe the other way around they went to one that's like eh, lovey weird wispy voice and they didn't feel uh, like it resonated with them. So yeah, my best advice is like, do it again, do it a few times. There is literally yoga for everyone. You just have to find the right style, the right place, the right person to guide you. Don't but give I'm up. not flexible. Don't give up. Right. <laughs> I'm not flexible either. I taught double pigeon in class this morning and it was just comical. <laughs> I'm like, see, your pose look, might look like mine even after 18 years. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I'm not flexible either. So uh, our last conversation, we talked a little bit about astrology. Oh. <laughs> now, I want to hear. Uh, I want to hear your take on oh. astrology. Uh, how did How did astrology come into your world, and how do you see it? Now? Way back in the day, my mom was super into astrology, but mm. not like in the good way. It was like, and she was loved People magazine and like all these cheesy, whatever, trashy. <laughs> magazines that you get in the hair salon and she would sit and read them and there was if there was a horoscope in them you know she'd read it and it was always so generic and whatever and she'd be like oh this is gonna happen and so I pretty much thought it was bullshit because mostly because it was coming from her but also because um, the form that was shared with me was quite cheesy and then um, yeah it wasn't until quite a bit later when my daughter Bailey started to get into astrology and would look up um, more details as far as like what time you were born and where and then you started to get into the moon sign and all of that and that intrigued me a lot more. Um, Not gonna lie, it kind of creeps me out sometimes how spot on the birth charts can be. Um, It kind of makes me I don't know, a lot of people that I interact with, when I start to see little subtle signs to their personality, I'm like super curious. I'm like, oh, I 
want to do their chart and I want to see what it says, but yeah, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Some fun times with astrology. Yeah. I'm Aquarius. Yeah. Like you. Repping it. Have you read about Aquarius plus an Aquarius? I mean, I think so. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Aquarius and Aquarius. Yeah. yeah. It's good stuff. Dynamic duo. So in a, in a similar vein, is there anything in this world that you believe to be true, but you can't exactly prove it or explain it? Hmm. Like, do you believe in ghosts? Yeah. I kind of think I do. Mm. Not, I mean, I don't, I don't really believe in like Beetlejuice type ghosts. Beetlejuice, like I Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. <laughs> love that movie. <laughs> Winona forever. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't necessarily think that there's like ghosts that haunt a house or haunt a person, you know, I don't know. I don't necessarily feel that, but since my brother passed, I do feel his energy. I feel the connection to him. When I went to Peru the first time, I remember being in practice and Bobby was next to me and we were both flowing through and it was a really sacred space with crystals and a lot of like energy there in the sacred Valley of Peru. And we both had a moment where I swear, like he was right behind me and we both kind of whipped our heads back and was like, did you see that? Did you see that person? Did you feel that? It was intense. And I don't know, there's just been a lot of times where I feel like he's really close by and leaving these little Easter eggs for me to find, especially in the first couple of years after he passed, like it was crazy how many things I felt were like left for me to find from him or for the kids and so in that way I do feel like even though I can't put my finger on it (laughs) there's energy that sticks around yeah like a ghost Hmm. the friendly ghost Casper (laughs) Casper are are there any other weird or unsettling things that seem to happen to you on a semi-regular basis well, those weren't weird or unsettling. They're kind of cool. Like, it was startling, but I liked it. Um, but, like, not good things that happen? No, just in general. Is there anything, mm. like, that you feel has happened to you several different times? Kind of like you said, Easter eggs from your brother. Mm. Are there any other weird things that seem to, like, pop up that you're like, that pop happened to me in before? my life? Mm. I mean, not what about this morning? Oh, dude. Dude. What the fuck was that? I don't know. Okay, so you were there, but I'm going to go ahead and <laughs> please enlighten <laughs> tell everyone. you my version of what was yeah. happening. I was dead asleep. I don't know. What time was that? I think it was at 7 a.m. Oh, what? It was really? Yeah. <laughs> I would have guessed like 3 a.m. Okay. Because well, so. I, I got up at like 3 a.m. because Blue got up. And uh. so I went to like put him back in his crate. What's funny is 7 a.m. is when normal people are awake and we were both <laughs> You didn't have to get up till 8. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Cause I remember vaguely saying yeah. that. I get another hour to sleep. Okay. Yeah. So I was dead asleep. We were in Vegas, but yeah. somehow on a yacht. And then we ran into Molly, which is why I knew we were in Vegas. But she was with, what's the guy's name? The British guy that likes meditation and all that uh, Russell Brand? yeah she was with Russell Brand and Ooh. they were going to an above and beyond show and she was wearing this amazing sparkly jumpsuit and I was like shit should I tell Jordan that 
there's a show we didn't know there's a show but no we have this date to go on this yacht and then we went on this yacht anyway it was a great dream and then suddenly like out of nowhere i was being attacked by aliens and it was so loud and it was this intense static screaming noise and then you grabbed me like in actual real life waking life <laughs> and then i was like oh <laughs> this part's not the dream and i opened my eyes and I don't know. It was almost like I could hear, see the sound. It was so intense. Yeah. This weird feedback vibration and I didn't really feel scared. I just was like, what the fuck is going on? And then you went into survivalist mode. And <laughs> Dude, like you said, the aliens were here. I was ready for them. Dude, Actually not. I wasn't ready you at were all. Freaking me out, bouncing around. But you figured out so quickly what we it was. have, we recently set up some speakers. We had a, uh, one of our little hangouts after a, a long weekend where we just kind of laid in bed all day. <laughs> movie marathon. Movie marathon, fun times. Saw some good flicks. Yeah. Uh, so the other week I set up our uh, like TV surround system, like big movie theater type speakers that we have upstairs um, in our quote unquote movie room that we never use because it's literally just an open exposed it's great it's loft. a good spot no it's more so because we like to be in bed yeah exactly we're more comfy yeah, we so can we, fit all four of us my teenagers can fit in there it's way better than so the we just don't use it enough and so i moved all the speakers directly pretty much above our bed pointing down <laughs> at our faces it's awesome so that when we watch like a big intense movie it feels like you're at a movie theater like the speakers like imagine like you're at a big concert and you look up and there are speakers above <laughs> you to your left and right that are like pointed down at you. Yeah. So I set up these two big speakers pointed down at us and they're like, what, like 80s speakers when like speakers were like good, high quality. They're not that old. Really? Yeah. Mm, okay. Whatever. But they're like a nice pair of like, you know, 90s. red and white cord speakers that yeah. like plug into your, your, uh, what is it? Your receiver. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I like them. They sound amazing. Yeah. And so we set them up and watch some movies at fairly loud volume. But then uh, we basically just leave it on at a somewhat low volume. And then we just control most of the volume for the TV with the regular remote. Because I don't have a remote control for or one that works for that system. The TV was off. So why was that so going? So the TV was turned off. And, the, and it's like connected to video through the speaker system. And somehow the speakers were at like full volume, Weird. blasting static. Yeah. And I didn't give it enough time to like figure out what was going on because I went straight for the power <laughs> button. What, what were you <laughs> dreaming about when that happened? I don't even know. I was having some crazy dreams. We worked huh. super hard yesterday. I and so we went and had was... a margarita with dinner. Oh, it was probably. That's why I drummed so weird. Exactly. We Mexican food and margaritas. Mexican food and margaritas. So we were like passed <laughs> out. Like like deep dream REM cycle, like six, about 7 a.m., mm -hmm. about to wake up in an hour or two. So we were in it. And I had some crazy dreams myself. And then all of a sudden it was just like Pool blast, chaos. Static. Yeah, so I wonder, you know, techie people, speaker people, why did that happen? Was there a ghost that was like invading our dreams? It was like, no, 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 you need a... You need a alien takeover. Uh. Yeah, dude, I literally thought the house was like falling down. Yeah, <laughs> it was scary. It was really intense. <laughs> but I've had some weird stuff happen like that in my old house where like we would just be uh, sitting at the kitchen table and the refrigerator would just like open. What? Yeah. 
that nice refrigerator what? it was just suddenly like open and the door would swing open the kids and i were like uh <laughs> what? Hmm, jimmy was hungry right and that's what we would say jimmy was hungry and a <laughs> snack <laughs> wow yeah so i've had some creepers mm. in a good way i don't know i don't i'm not like scared of ghosty type situations if anything it just intrigues me yeah and i'm sure there's probably a scientific explanation to all of it but yeah. i think it's okay to believe a little bit in what you yeah. can't see because it's kind of fun speaking of belief is there anything else that you believe that like someone else would be like you're insane hmm any other I don't know. I think I'm fairly sane. I don't yeah. think I have any, like, do, do you, do I, do you think well, I have uh, any crazy uh, beliefs? Well, I mean, mm. not necessarily, but like chakras or yeah. like subtle body energy that like other people would yeah. definitely say is I'm insane. still a little bit up in the air on that stuff. Yeah. Um, you teach know. a lot of it. I do. I think it's interesting to explore, but I don't know. I, I guess the belief that you can uh, change your life at any point, I think is a little far-fetched for people. Like at 40, I think something I've been really trying to like nail home with people is that you can change your life whenever you want. You can change your path. You can reinvent yourself. And I think when you're stuck in a place where you're not super happy with who you are, or your circumstance, it's easy to feel like hopeless and I am a big advocate for, no, like you can reinvent yourself, write a new story whenever you want. And I think that's still a hard thing for a lot of people to believe. So is that the best advice that you would give yourself now when you were going through your struggles with losing your brother and losing Dave? Or was there any other piece of advice that you feel would be stronger for that kind of really tough time that From you personally then, are going through? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was less that I needed to reinvent myself at that point. I think I needed to be okay with mourning. Like, I think I, sh I, I should have allowed myself support. I should have leaned on other people. I was a newly single mom with two young kids. And I've always been, like, tough and, like, figure stuff out. And believe me, I had my ass in therapy twice a week. But on top of that, I should have... Uh, reached out and asked for help with family and friends and confided more of how I was feeling and what I was going through and um, allow myself the room to grieve both of those losses because I think because I didn't then I spiraled right into a not great relationship not great a bad relationship and a bad rebound that didn't service serve me well for the next five or six or seven years so um, yeah I would given myself more space and time and support to really feel the lows and the darks that I was feeling and not just try to put on the pretty mask. I was totally how it's raised. Like everything's like pretty on the outside, but dark on the inside. So uh, what do you do now to give yourself that time and space? Like in terms of, you asked me about morning rituals and mm -hmm. I definitely look up to you in terms of your ability <laughs> to, enact some morning rituals that change mm -hmm. things so are there any morning rituals or other times of the day rituals that you think would have been helpful at that time or that are helpful right now to give you your time and space yeah meditating meditating so crucial to me and and journaling um i was not a girl that journaled like i didn't have a diary a lot of my friends did i never got that i never got it growing up but um, it was something I have started to come into habit to from 
reading different mentors and books that have inspired me. And so I've started doing that. And then your sister, what was that book called that she gave me? Do you remember what the no. name of it is? I'll have to look it up. It's so awesome. It's just this great journal with different prompts. And so that's one of my favorite things to do in the morning is just wake up, rub my eyes, um, grab that book and just sit and either prompted or unprompted and just write free flow for about 10 minutes every morning. Um, it just is a nice way to wake up and get my creative juices flowing or get some things out that maybe I'm stuffing down and um, not dealing with, like surfacing out some things. And sometimes it's nice even to look back through those journal entries and kind of go, oh yeah, that's where I was, or this is where I've evolved from. Or actually I had a friend today who will remain nameless, who um, thanked me or thanked us for the journaling that we had them do in teacher training because looking back on her journaling made her realize uh, how unhappy she was with things that were going on in her life at that time where she didn't realize it as she was writing about it. But now that she's removed herself from that situation, she can look back and go, oh, like, yeah, I was not happy with these things. And I still was repeatedly putting myself in a situation I didn't like. So yeah, I would say journaling is really helpful. And journaling helps prepare me for meditation so if i get that first out of the way then it's easier for me to come to a meditative seat and really find stillness and um either whatever i journaled on then creates this creative fuel that comes into the meditation practice or it clears my head enough that i can just peace out and <laughs> go who knows where what would be your journaling entry if the prompt was, how do you feel about coming up to your third marriage? <laughs> well, I don't know if you should be asking that question. It's going to have to give you a filtered answer. No, uh, just kidding. Do what you got to do. <laughs> just kidding. Coming up to my third marriage, uh, there's a part of me that like the sound of that sounds like, I don't know, three strikes, you're out, you're out but... But you've only had two strikes. <laughs> right? You were just commenting how uh, last night, hanging out with my grandparents, how mm -hmm. you loved how they were together. They were so sweet. My I really grandma's being around on her them. third husband. That's true. Yeah. That's true. And my Aunt Megan, when we, when we went out to see them and pick up the famed RV, she <laughs> said third time's a charm for her. Her mm -hmm. third marriage has been awesome. Yeah, I think... I think going into round three with you uh, is exciting. I'm actually, I don't know. It's been a longer engagement period than I've ever had. And <laughs> How no, long were your others? Seriously, they were brief. Um, <laughs> they were brief engagements. This has been a longer engagement period. It's um, also been, I don't know, I'm just at a different point in my life. Had we decided to do this a year ago, I might say differently, but last winter going through my surgeries and my loss and you stepping up as my support system, my nurse, my everything like that really changed the game trust wise for me. I think a lot of the issues that I've brought into past relationships that didn't work was not on them necessarily, but part of it was on me having issues with trust and maybe drawing myself to the wrong people for the wrong reasons. And um, yeah, I feel like after what we went through last year, 
I feel really trust. I feel like a strong bond and trust with you and a lot of support. So it feels a lot less scary going into this and a lot more, I don't know, that we can handle anything. Like we've gone through a lot already. (laughs) So a lot of people may not know exactly what you went through. So Mm. can you take us back from the very beginning? We'll take you all the way back to being what, in your early 20s? 23. Yeah. Okay, so right after the birth of my daughter, I was, as I said, in a um, challenging relationship that, uh, and I was young and I just saw my body do a major shift after pushing a baby out of it. And um, back then, everything was about Playboy and Max Magazine. Like, it was just everywhere. So... A combination of his request and my insecurity and social norm, I ended up with breast implants. Not a fan. (laughs) Figured that out right away. Was not a fan. Didn't like how they felt when I was practicing yoga. Got super insecure about the way I looked and um, the way they fit my body and the attention that they drew. And uh, yeah, I just was not a fan but it was hard and scary to go through surgery so the thought of going through it again to take them out was kind of like fuck that and uh, so I just kept them in for quite some time and started to develop over the years a lot of blue blue's got got a little itch on his (laughs) neck going so he's jingle jangling (laughs) sounds like santa's coming uh so yeah so Basically, over the years, I started to notice issues within my body. And some people refer to it as breast implant illness. Thankfully, my... Come here, baby. Come here. Come this way. We <laughs> called him and now he's right here. Do you want to talk? <laughs> um, oh, thank you. <laughs> some people's uh, breast implant illness has been pretty extreme. And mine were much more subtle. Everything from shoulder issues and pec problems and... Uh, issues up in my neck down to tingling in my wrists and my hands um allergies a lot of um sinus infections and food allergies it was just weird and I never really realized that they were connected to the implants until I took them out (laughs) which was last November almost a year oh my god that's insane it's been almost a year since we took them out and uh yeah, my body changed immediately. I remember um, the first day that I was coherent after surgery and the implants were out. And all of a sudden, like for the first time in, I kid you not, like at least 10 years, my shoulder didn't hurt. I didn't have this radiating heat pain into my back and my shoulder. And it was insane how quickly that changed. And then also my breath, like when I did yoga, breathing, like matching when we, when we sit back to back and we meditate together and we match our breath. Like I was always like, damn, Jordan's got some lungs. I cannot keep up, but now I can, I can get some pretty good. And that's when the power went out. (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of a stormy day here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, there's lots of wind. We got some I don't think. Oh, yeah. trees and stuff me. down. <laughs> the technical <laughs> no, you're good. difficulties. So I can't believe we didn't lose all of that. I know. We lost power and then it popped back on and somehow Logic saved 99% of that conversation, which yay is logic. phenomenal. How mm. often do you say yay Logic? I know, right? <laughs> so anyway, sorry that for that uh, 
instant segue there. So no let's worries. get back to uh, your conversation on what you're going through. You just said that you had a lot of breath going on. Yeah. So I, I immediately felt a difference physically. And um, and I would say in that first week or so, I was really excited about all these awesome changes. And then I started to notice not so great side effects from the uh, surgery and some complications. And I'm not going to go into a huge detail here. It definitely requires its own episode, but I ended up with some emergency visits and another uh, big surgery and lost the lower part of my left breast as well as the entire nipple. Rest in peace, lefty. Nipple gone. Yeah, it was pretty intense. It was one of the hardest things I've ever been through in an already quite challenging life. And uh, it was definitely not something I could have ever expected. I was not warned that that was something that could happen. Um, but the way that you stepped up and supported me and took care of me when I couldn't really handle anything that was going on, um, yeah, it was pretty pretty amazing. So it makes me quite confident in these nuptials that are coming up. Quite ready to get married to you. Nuptials. Nuptials. <laughs> Nuptials. <laughs> Interesting word. Yeah. So I'm ready. I'm excited. We've got less than a year we are married yeah we should probably start planning something yeah like what some acro <laughs> for the wedding i don't know actually uh so i was at the studio i was at um, bala today and the girls we were chatting after class and somebody showed me a website to find a wedding dress and and she was saying that they even have ones where it's like a what are we gonna call it like a not a onesie what is it like a what was I wearing the other night? It's like a one-piece thing that like buttons on the bottom. Yeah, basically like a swimsuit. Mm, sort but of, but yeah. I don't, I don't even know what they're called. But anyway, like this thing that you wear and then like the skirt that kind of goes over the top of it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that'd be sick for some acro. Yeah. And then they were like, of course you're going to do acro at your wedding. So yeah, that'll probably happen. Yeah. So uh, how was acro given your whole surgery and things how was that moving from a place of doing a decent amount of acro to then not being able to do any for a while right and then hopping back into not only that but your yoga practice as well yeah well the acro practice or acro vinyasa i guess i would rather say our acro, acro vinyasa practice is what um saved me a lot in that recovery process because as you know, I have some trust issues. So allowing you to take care of me and really truly support me and me not being able to use my arms for three months when we live in this house where all of our cupboards are really high, like not being able to get a glass of water and fill it, like that was really challenging for me. And I, I think I would have lost my mind had I not already put it into practice through that acro vinyasa practice with you like that. Um, going through training and uh, everything really, I don't know, it set me up to be able to trust and lean on somebody and communicate my needs. And uh, and then just shortly after I was given the go-ahead to do yoga again, boom, we're at level two training in Bali <laughs> with Yoga Beyond. So that training was hard for me physically. And 
I think it was hard for everybody physically. It was a challenging, yeah. <laughs> challenging hundred hour. Oh geez. Oh, so <laughs> that was, that was serious. Like that was an ego moment when we were doing handstand max out every day. Um, I was in, I think it was like the second day doing it. And I think Dice was my partner who I love. And, uh, I kind of mentioned to him while I was in it, like, I can't really feel my left arm. Like it was tingly and it was early. It was like not even a minute in, which, you know, years ago had been like piece of cake. But yeah, it was a, it was a moment where he's like, come down, <laughs> like take care of yourself. And I was like, but I want to max out and I want to be up here longer. And I had that competitive side that kind of came out, not with other people, but with myself. Cause I know that I've been stronger before. And, um, realizing that it's going to take a little while, you know, at that point it had only been five months or so since the last surgery, the final surgery. And, uh, yeah, so it was a bit of an ego moment to let that go and be okay with where my body's at now and how it's changed and evolved. And I don't know, it was, it was tricky, but that was a pretty awesome training. It was a good place to be, even though I was going through those struggles of, reestablishing my yoga practice and reestablishing my acro practice with you. It was a good place to be because it is such a family and it is such a supportive environment and it's never a, a judgment or um, competition for to be the best or to, um, you know, put safety aside or your common sense aside in, in a quest for that perfect pose. So, it was a good place to allow myself to grow back into my practice with you yeah. and, and with my own practice. Shout out to Yoga Beyond for Yay. that one. I know. I hope maybe they can come visit sometime so they can be on the podcast. Yeah. They've Jordan, been here before. I know. Jordan doesn't want to do podcasts if the person is not in the room because he is a snob when it comes to <laughs> audio quality and mic quality. People do it all the time, babe. I know. But we'll see. Yeah, so we just have to get them to come I visit just like again. face-to-face. I want you to do it with Dice, too. Maybe we can have all three of them. Yeah. That might be a clusterfuck of talking, yeah. but <laughs> we'll break it up one at a time. Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked about the progression of yoga in your life from when you started in your early 20s to going through teacher training that was more cerebral and then we got into acro, which is a lot more like playtime. And to continue things even more playful, we kind of have made our way into the festival world, which is very much a, a world of mine that I live in and love yeah. and have kind of brought you into it. Um, so how is that experience for you? Did you like dance music coming into <laughs> this? Was it all just kind of brand new and scary or what? First of all, I want to thank you for that. <laughs> uh, I, I really appreciate the world that has been opened up to me through dance music and festivals. And uh, at first, I, I didn't know that it was going to be part of yoga for me. Uh, I think the first festival I went to with you and, and the first few songs that you started to send me, I think I went and saw you and Dave play. You know, I was curious and definitely wanted to learn more. There were certain tracks you'd send that really like caught my attention and I'd be like, what is this? Like I was kind of obsessed with what genre is what and I've learned that yeah, it's all kind of gray <laughs> and hazy. <laughs> but uh, I would say music for me growing up was a lot about what my parents 
introduced me to. So I was into the Grateful Dead and Fleetwood Mac and um, and then being a grunge kid in the 90s, all of a sudden it was all about Pearl Jam and Nirvana. And, and then when I got married really young and started to go through like body image issues, there was more than just the physical aspect that I kind of lost sight of. And I think a lot of what I lost in those years of like my 20s and early 30s was what did I like? Like, what did I truly like? And um, both of <laughs> the previous serious relationships I was in um, were with somebody who in each instance didn't want to dance, didn't like to dance. And so I kind of fell to that. Well, he doesn't want to dance. Therefore, I don't get to dance. And every once in a while, I would go out with friends, but I wasn't really in what was current or popular. Um, I just kind of ended up having to listen to whatever they were listening to. And I don't know, I, I so I kind of missed the whole going out in your 20s and going to a rave or going to a festival thing. And I, how old was I when I went to my first festival at like 38? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Welcome to the nightclub world and to the festival world. Like that was a big, a big transition for me, but a really uh, perfect timing transition i would say because that world um is so welcoming and i feel like it brings all of the weirdos together in one place and everybody's accepting and loving i mean what is plur right <laughs> peace peace love, love. unity and respect. and respect like those four things are phenomenal i love that that is the culture that you find and um yeah, so then it just kind of started to evolve and make sense to combine our strengths, you know, your music background, my newfound interest in the music world and see how we could combine it into the yoga we were already teaching. And then now we've taken that one step further and said, okay, people in studios who are already into yoga, yeah, let's introduce them or play them tracks in our classes that are non-traditional yoga music or something that uh, they're maybe not expecting. But I really love that we've kind of flipped it and, and focused now on the other people, the people who aren't into yoga, the people who are into music, who are into festivals and meet them where they're at and show them a little taste of what yoga or acro vinyasa is like and maybe give them the inspiration or the support to find balance at these festivals and these events. Um, I just read an article today, actually, that was great talking about the rise of yoga at these music festivals and how some people are like, no, they're infiltrating <laughs> our, our festival. The yoga doesn't belong here. But I think a lot of people who run those events, they don't want people staying up all night and um, going too hard. They want balance. They want people to be able to come back and do it again. And they want to lower their you know, risk of overdoses and injuries or dehydration or whatever people are dealing with. And I, I really... Um, feel proud and happy with the path that we're on to combine the music and yoga together. I think it's exciting. I think it's fun. And, and it doesn't feel like work a lot of times to be able to go and teach a class and meet some people and play, but then be able to spend the whole night going out and exploring new music. And usually you're taking me on the path of what we're going to go to listen to. But sometimes I have done a little research and have my opinion on what I want to hear and see. So I'm getting there. Baby steps. Yeah, so just sometimes it kind of feel like you're like, 
a mom in those situations of like trying to not not necessarily from like a a one-on-one like I am your mother but more of like a mother figure that's like helping helping people become more balanced and take care of themselves beyond just like yeah I mean that's always sort of been my role forever I mean even when I taught it yoga at Bailey's school some of her friends lovingly started to call me mother yoga and you know so I think that's just kind of my personality is having that mothering nature Ooh, blue watch out for the cords buddy <laughs> we got a 120 pound great dane walking around Who in a studio a five pound little lap dog little lap dog yeah buddy <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah, sometimes I feel uh, a little bit like a mom. I know that when we do see situations where people um, are in need of help, I'm definitely the first one to like <laughs> go find help and, and be there. And I mean, that's just feels like my job as a human being. But I do think that's part of the mommy in me. The age thing, I know the first couple shows I went to of your guys is that foundation. I felt like I was 80 it was so weird how young everybody was but I feel a lot less of that now and I don't feel it at all at festivals really Eh, a couple of the USC festivals I guess I feel pretty I have actually brought my 80 year old grandparents to foundation and they have been there before so (laughs) that was kind of interesting and not to mention you get carded every time we go anywhere yeah because you don't look your age so (laughs) you may feel old but you definitely don't seem super old yeah I think it's just like a experience and age thing and uh, you know you see all the quote-unquote youngins like living so vicariously and so free and sometimes maybe not very responsibly and then the mom in me or the old person in me comes out and goes oh my god take care of yourself so yeah but like it comes back to that plur aspect is that i if there's any part of me that feels like i'm too old to be there that mantra and that um culture that i feel like the inclusivity that people really work to make happen helps melt that away and it's been huge for our relationship like you referred to earlier your grandparents having this special bond that i love seeing like they haven't pretty significant age difference don't they yeah i don't know exactly what it is yeah. i think it's like eight years or i haven't asked but it's yeah. it's not quite as hefty as ours <laughs> <laughs> but it's enough and uh yeah so there's parts of me that like gives into insecurity of like oh am i too old for this or am i too old for him i just remember that it doesn't really matter we're all here to have fun and love and take care and support each other and that music the music world has brought so much to me in that way. And I like all genres of music. Like rarely will you play music or will I hear a song on the radio that I absolutely despise. Like I can usually find enjoyment in most music, but I will say there's certain styles that you will play that I'm like, oh, what is this? I love this. It talks to you a little bit deeper than just this superficial (laughs) kind of top layer nonsense yeah or Um, repetitive lyrics that go nowhere and um, yeah so I asked you earlier how you see uh, your yoga career when you're 60 Uh, and so to bring that back I guess with yoga and festivals and you feeling like you're old but then also the vibes kind of keep you young right how do you see yourself I don't know continuing with where you are because you tend to be this 
beaming light of happiness and positivity basically everywhere you go and i've seen others there's people who have instagram like rave. fucking sunshine there's <laughs> <laughs> like rave dad and other stuff that yeah. are like seattle-based people that are like in their 50s or 60s and they're like regular club goers i remember at ruby sky in um san francisco there mm-hmm. was this couple that would be there every single weekend That's showing awesome. up at 10 a- 10 p.m when things open and i would always see them and then there's a couple people in the seattle scene who've been here for a while and so it's like you can be that and mm-hmm. so how do you i guess foresee using your positivity and moving into the future oh i would love to keep doing what we're doing and just make that path even more solidified like right now i think people are kind of starting to get to know who we are in that world but there's a lot of people who have no clue and as we start to do festivals um like dirty bird and and expand past the local stuff um i think we're carving a pretty cool path that isn't really happening otherwise that i know of and there's a lot of yoga festivals where there's dozens or even more classes every day and then there's a little music at night but the music festivals there's what one or two classes a day maybe um at most of them and and to be there and supporting people and sharing i don't know the path that we are hoping to inspire people with and and then in turn be inspired by their energy and their youth and the love of music and the support of each other i think it's a really great deal and I don't know. I guess I could see myself being this silver-haired. I'm gonna have long silver hair, and I'm still gonna rock cute rave clothes and teach yoga classes. So yeah, I guess that's where it's gonna evolve. We're just gonna keep doing this. Nice. It'll just get bigger and better. That works for me. Nice. Well, this uh, this demogorgon down here, <laughs> I like to call Blue a demo Blue. dog or a demogorgon. He makes deep rumbling noises, and he's he has some bass. Some bass, dude. Yeah. So he seems to be getting a little bit antsy. So we might have to right, wrap this we up. Can wrap this so up. Is there anything else that you want to kind of bring out? Like, is there anything you want to use to kind of tie this all together of your progression through your yoga life? Um. Not really. I, I'm glad we're doing these episodes for people to kind of get a little glimpse into who we are. I think we kept it pretty general for both of us. So it'll be fun to revisit this and, and give people a little bit more depth. I got this book recently um, that has some serious hard hitting questions. And I think it'd be fun to pick like maybe one or two of those and just really like dive into them per episode. And, and it might might be fun way for people to get little deeper glimpse into the heart and the minds of each of us so i guess until then if any of you guys want to reach out if you have any questions if you're going through some shit you know i've been there as well um and i i'm always looking to connect with you guys so yeah for now i guess sending lots of love and light all right well we (laughs) will talk with you guys soon Woo! bye bye